Hello, friends. Dave Bjork here, lung cancer survivor, patient advocate, and yes, I am the Research Evangelist, and welcome to the Research Evangelist podcast. I'm coming to you today from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and you know, the Greek meaning of evangelist is bringing the good news, and I like to think that I'm bringing the good news in cancer research and care by interviewing people in life sciences that are doing amazing work. I call them brilliant but not famous, and well, the not famous part is, is sort of the irony because they're all well-known and respected in the fields that they work in and respected by their peers and, and the communities that they serve. But my next door neighbor might not recognize their name. And, and I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty clear. Uh, but, but they really are brilliant and committed to their work. So I love meeting these people, these amazing people and sharing a little bit about them and their work that they're doing. And I believe in serendipity. So I hope that some positive things come from sharing their stories with you and, with, and to the universe. So today I'm super excited to have Dr. David Spiegel on the show. He is the Chief Scientific Officer at Sarah Cannon Research Institute in Nashville. He's a medical oncologist at Tennessee Oncology, and David got his uh, medical degree from uh, the University of Tennessee Health Science Center School of Medicine. And he did his residency at Indiana University School of Medicine and his fellowship in hematology and oncology at Dana-Farber in Boston, of course, where that's where I'm from. So I, I know that it's awesome that David spent some time um, in my neck of the woods. So anyway, David, welcome to the program. So, so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having me. Yeah, I was excited about uh, this opportunity. <laughs> yeah, and we met we met in Nashville um, actually in July. I think it was July um, when I was uh, down for a white ribbon project um, making ribbons together. So it was an honor to meet you. And what what a special day that was, right? Yeah, I I, uh, I was thinking about that. You know, it was just uh, it was kind of a hot day. Uh, it was in the park at a uh, at a, a small shelter with too many people to fit under the shade. Uh, but you and I kind of bumped into each other. I think we were introduced by a mutual friend. But uh, how fun it was to connect and you know, spend the day with, uh, both, um, kind of, uh, folks in the, in the field, right. Uh, patients, survivors, uh, people who are involved in the care of lung cancer. It was, it was, it was a really cool day. It really was. And, and, and what, to me, it was like, there were, there were people from Sarah Cannon, there were people from, um, Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. um, there were survivors, there's me and Chris Draft and, and, uh, Heidi and Pierre and others that came in from out of town. And it was just, it was really a really special occasion to me. I, I, I had never experienced something like that. Yeah. I, um, you know, before you had walked up, I was talking to, um, actually a patient of one of my colleagues and we must've talked for about an hour about his hobby of collecting Legos. And I mean, he's a serious collector and, <laughs> and, you know, I was when I was driving home that afternoon. I was thinking, you know, how how cool it was to have that opportunity to talk with somebody. Well, we talked a little bit about lung cancer and research and things that are happening in the field, but we spent most of our time just talking about, you know, maybe Legos aren't the most normal thing in the world to talk about, but uh, <laughs> but it was a fun it was a fun day nonetheless. Yeah, well, I think I think that's what what I find special about the the when we build ribbons and those kind of community events is just the just making connections with 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 really good humans, you know, who come together for, 
yeah. for a good purpose. So can't you, um, re- you really can't do enough of those. Um, you know, we, I think we all kind of say oh, a run is coming up a walk or various things, but you know, with the pandemic, all that kind of shut down. And so it was nice to have that opportunity to, uh, to connect, as you say. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think now it's like, I'm not sure if we could do that right, <laughs> like right now, now that things are yeah, it changes so much, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe today. Yeah. No, but next week. Yes. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, anyway, let, let me start by, you know, having you uh, tell us about yourself and your background. And as I like, sometimes I like to say, like, tell me, tell me about the young David Spiegel and like, like, what? now, wait a minute. You, you didn't, <laughs> you don't want to hear that. You'll, you'll turn off all of your listeners to tell you about myself. Um, no, gosh, no, this is all about you, man. So, so like, so you're from, are you from Nashville? I am. I, uh, okay. I, I grew up here. It's funny because Nashville, I guess now people, I noticed when you introduced me, you didn't say Tennessee. Um, cause I always, I always have this kind of chip on my shoulder that nobody knows what Nashville is, where Nashville is, what it is, but actually now, I guess with some of the, um, uh, maybe notoriety of some of the things that have been happening in the city over the years, uh, Nash- Nashville is literally on the map. Um, but when I, I, I grew up here, I, I, we moved here in 76 when I was six years old. Uh, my dad was in the air force and, um, we were, he was stationed in um, actually Mississippi and was recruited by the head of radiation oncology at Vanderbilt at the time, who was also in the Air Force to be a medical oncologist. And so my dad, there's some debate about this because my mentor, Tony Greco, and my dad dispute sometimes who was the first medical oncologist in Nashville, but I'll probably side with my dad and say that he was the first (laughs) medical oncologist, trained medical oncologist in Nashville in 1976. So yeah, this is where I grew up. Wow. So, so I, I, I worked for a company years ago and I, I, I spent some time in, in Memphis. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's where the, 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 head, the, the company was headquartered and <laughs> it spent a little time in, in, I think it was, is it little, something branch, uh, Mississippi, somewhere, somewhere. Uh, just olive, over I think the, it's olive branch or something. Olive branch. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I've heard olive. of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but then, so then you went to school in New Orleans. So, yeah, I, I grew up here and kind of like probably a lot of kids, probably as my kids are thinking too, as they uh, look towards college, um, you know, I never was going to come back. I'm gone. As soon as I leave Nashville, I'm gone. And so I went to, as you say, I went to college in uh, New Orleans at Tulane um, and, um, and then ended up going to medical school in Memphis, um, at that's where the university of Tennessee's, uh, medical school is located. They have two campuses. Knoxville is what everybody kind of knows from a sports perspective, but their yeah, medical course, program yeah. is, is located in Memphis. Um, and then from there I went, um, what was kind of, this is kind of boring stuff, but what I thought was kind of cool at the time was uh, training at a place that had an academic center, University of Tennessee hospital, um, a community hospital. It was called the Med. It's where um, Elvis was treated, uh, level one trauma center. So helicopters flying in when you're a medical student, pretty exciting stuff, a VA and um, actually affiliated private facility. So I thought that was pretty important in training to kind of see all different ways people get get their care. Um, and that's why a uh, large part I chose Indiana University. Indianapolis had the same setup. It had a county hospital called Wishard at the time. It's changed its name. A private hospital called Methodist. A VA, a really great VA there. And a university hospital, IU Medical Center. And so I spent my time there. And um 
you know, although my dad's an oncologist, you know, you kind of look towards doing other things in life, uh, but nothing kind of appealed to me as much as oncology. I was kind of flirting with cardiology, maybe urology. Um, but when I got to IU, um, I didn't realize it, but uh, a lot of stuff was happening in oncology when I got there. So Larry Einhorn, who is, uh, I guess, most well known for being, you know, certainly a uh, a major uh, innovator and leader in the field, uh, of course, uh, you know, helped help discover the treatment for testicular cancer was based there. And but a lot of great faculty probably there because of Larry over the years. And and so. I started, I started flirting with the idea of oncology because of folks like Dr. Einhorn and uh, Dr. Lair, Scott Saxman, um, I can name a bunch of people, uh, Alan Sandler. Um, and, uh, and so I got, I got the bug and actually sat down with them and Larry in particular. And we talked about where to look for training um, for fellowship. And, and so with a lot of people's help, um, you know, we, we kind of went through that and then ended up in Boston. Um, and so uh, that was something that we didn't, my wife and I didn't, you know, plan on being in Boston, but the opportunity came, came up and we loved it. In fact, Dave, I, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, New England. Um, we, we really fell in love with Boston and of course, a fantastic medical center there and training program developed a lot of friends and thought, thought a lot about staying there. Um, I was actually doing breast cancer with a guy named Eric Weiner, uh, and doing some lung cancer with Tom Lynch, uh, my mentors at that time. And, um, just to complete the boring story, uh, I was, I was going to stay there. And then, uh, my dad said, Hey, you know, we, we have this unusual, uh, research program in Nashville called Sarah Cannon. You should come and look. Uh, and I, and I was also interested in potentially Vanderbilt. So I thought I'd look at Nashville. My wife is from Nashville and to make a long story, uh, come to a finish here. Um, I came down and saw something that was very, um, different, uh, from what I was expecting, uh, in terms of what you could do in a community setting, had everything I wanted in terms of, uh, the ability to do innovative work, lead clinical trials, see patients in, a, in the community that my wife and I grew up in. And so uh, I came right out of fellowship in 2003, straight to Sarah Cannon. And I've been here um, a little over 18 years. Wow. And by the way, it's not boring. So, so <laughs> well, stop I, it. Yeah. Just stop it. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, a couple of things I heard you yeah. say of like, like now that your kids are thinking of college and, and I have three boys. And so, you know, we went, I've, they've all graduated from college. So I went through that process of like them deciding, like, like none of them went to UMass, you know, yeah, right. So it would have been great because they all went to state schools and we played, we paid out of state tuition, you know, for all of them, <laughs> right, which, right. you know, and if they had gone to UMass, it would have been a really nice yeah, thing I'm for sure. us. But, but you, you mentioned, um, not knowing if you were going to like you wanted to go away and maybe you, you weren't going to come back to Nashville. I'm the first thing I want to ask is like how you ended up at, at, um, at, at Dana Farber, how did you yeah. make that decision or how, how would that opportunity, how did that opportunity come come about? Well, I think, you know, it, it is funny, you know, it's that full circle, right. Where you start to see it in your own children. But, um, you know, I think there's this desire when you're younger, right. To make your own mark and do your own thing. And, and kind of particularly because Nashville and in, in, you know, even the 80s wasn't even close to the Nashville of right now uh, in terms of, 
you know, uh, what I consider to be back then important things like sports and bigger cultural things in a city. And, and, um, you know, this, this, this idea that there's much more exciting things happening in other places. And, uh, of course, Nashville has a lot of exciting things, but at the time, you know, you want to get out there and kind of explore and plant your own, uh, your own flag and, and kind of start your own career. And in fact, when I left for college, I thought I was doing business, not medicine. Um, and so, um, you know, but as things happen in life, uh, you make decisions based on not only your own, your own interests, but those of, of your, um, of, of, you know, your partner, your relationship you're in and, and your family. And so it's funny how things work out. Um, I, you know, in my case, I think for the, for the better in terms of being, being back in the place, my wife and I grew up in where my, my parents are still here. My, one of my brothers is still here. And who would have thunk that my kids go to the same school I went to, um, but back to Boston, um, you know, I, I, I tell people a lot, uh, who are looking at going into medicine or trying to decide what to do within medicine. It, it, it may not really matter where you train as much as, um, having the right people to connect with. You always hear about mentors. Um, I think you need the right facility, the right places to have opportunity to see things. And so for me, Boston, you know, is this great place with a lot of things happening, right? In in medical oncology and 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 malignant hematology, uh, multiple um, kind of world class places like Mass General and the Brigham and Women's Hospital across the street, Beth Israel, uh, Tufts around the corner. I mean, a lot of things happening in terms of the academic spirit. Um, and so, you know, as a kind of young trainee, tr- just trying to understand what oncology is and how to care for patients with cancer. To, to be exposed to people trying to change the field at the same time, develop new drugs, develop new treatments, um, and, and see how they do that. You know, how do you design a trial? How do you work with folks around the world in partnering on a new treatment in breast cancer? Um, you know, how, do, how does that work outside of, outside of Boston when you're in a community at a meeting or meeting with a, a company? And so, you know, I thought that I thought Dana Farber was a great place for me to get it to get kind of an early experience in that. And as I mentioned, I had great mentors, not just Eric and Tom, but you know, um, Richard Stone was kind of our fellowship director. I mean, I can name countless people uh, who kind of helped me decide. Um, you know, what what did I want to do? Did I want to practice medicine like my dad did, really his whole life as a, as a community oncologist, or did I want to maybe try something different? Um, you know, either in a lab or in, in this clinical research role, um, did I want it to be in academics or not? And, and so I had a chance to kind of flirt with all those different opportunities. And, you know, it's, it's funny, I, um, I don't consider myself to be that old, but I'm 51 and, you know, I've been doing this for about 18 years and I can't imagine being in a better place for me than, than where I am right now. I, I just think this, this allows me to do everything I want to do to, um, hopefully feel like I'm, I'm having some kind of impact. Oh, Dave, definitely, David. And, and I'll tell you that I, I often talk about this and I often say how I'm so Boston centric because I've lived here for a long time. I mean, I'm from Minnesota. So, um, you know, th- this, this isn't where I grew. I didn't grow up in Boston, but I've lived here for a long time and all my, my three boys were born at the Brigham. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I feel like Boston is a very special place. And, and you mentioned, you know, Tom Lynch. And it's like, I can't tell you how many 
I've been thinking about this, like how many people have mentioned that name as someone who was their mentor? Well, um, well I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I mean, it's not that funny, but it, it's kind of, it was helpful. It was helpful. <laughs> it was helpful in my development. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Tom was one of my mentors, uh, you know, uh, where, where we had a con- what's called a continuity clinic, your second and third year fellowship. And so I would spend, one day a week with Tom at, at Mass General seeing patients with lung cancer. And one day Tom sat me down and, and he knew, you know, he, he knew about our program in Nashville before I did. He knew about Syracuse and, and he, he looked at me and he just said, what's wrong with you? And I said, what do you mean, Dr. Lynch? And he's like, why aren't you going to Nashville? And I said, well, what's Na- what's in Nashville? And so he started telling me about what he knew about Syracuse and, and, and opportunities Anyway, I left his office. I came home and talked to my wife and I'm like, he says we're crazy not to look at Nashville. And, you know, that means a lot, right? When you have somebody who's your mentor and Tom is kind of, uh, you know, Harvard through and through, you know, Yale, Harvard through and through. Of course. Um, And and for him to say, David, you know, as a mentor and, and kind of somebody to help guide you, you should really consider this opportunity. And had he not said that, I don't think I ever would have even entertained the idea, you know, what a difference that's made for me. We've been fortunate or I've been fortunate to stay in touch with Tom over the years as I've seen his career continue to uh, accelerate, you know, in different in different ways in academics and uh, at, at Mass General and at Yale. And then, um, uh, you know, now now well, well then in industry with uh, Bristol Myers Squibb and then now at um, in Seattle uh, where he's he's back in academics and and I know uh, although it's the opposite coast I know I know I'm sure he's created a, a great team around him and um, he's he's a very kind of inspiring person so uh, it's funny how these people that you see early in life kind of stay with you and, and continue to be models for you as you think about your next steps. Yeah, I love that story. And I'll tell you, I just reached out to him um, last week and got a really nice note from him. Yeah. Because um, I want to have him on my show because um, he, he's like this common denominator of so many people that I've, you know, it's like David Tom Cook and and like on, on oh, this, yeah. this, he's, he's like Kevin, dozens of people. He's he, Kevin Bacon. He's Kevin Bacon he of is, oncology. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Skip Burris, you know, who who's my boss here, <laughs> our chief medical officer at Sarah Cannon. Skip and Tom are probably the Kevin Bacons of oncology. That's that's yeah. awesome. But but I do. But uh, but the point I wanted to make was that I I sometimes I'm so Boston centric, but I'm I'm I, what what's tugging at my heart right now is this is this idea that 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 people like Dr. Lynch said you're crazy not to think of going to Memphis and it's your home is your wife's home your family's there yeah and you're doing amazing work there so i i i i was going to ask you about mentors but you you've already set you've already shared well like, I'll tell you, know, you, you know a bunch of mentors well i'll tell you how again this is I can't imagine anybody being interested interested in this, but uh, but I'll 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 just go a no, little, we bit, little bit further. Are. I'll go a little bit further, just show you how kind of small the world of oncology is. So I come to Nashville and my I meet Skip Burris, who I didn't know at the time. And of course, you know, Skip Skip's kind of a world class uh, leader in oncology, uh, recent president of ASCO, and so you yeah, know, I actually it, met him like. 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so skip, skip, you know, so I have, so here's who I'm landing here with. I got skip. 
I got a guy named Tony Greco and a guy named John Hainsworth. And, and so I, I knew of them. I, you know, read, read articles from them. They, you know, published things in DeVita, et cetera. But, you know, that, that oh, was Savita. He has yeah, another one. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's the book that they, they have been published in, but, yeah. but, you know, all these people are connected. So Tony was uh, a fellow of a guy named Bruce Chabner. Bruce Chabner was kind of head of oncology at, at the, at Mass General. Um, and so it's kind of a small world, but, you know, as somebody just at a fellowship whose feet kind of land back in Nashville and, you know, kind of ready to hit the ground running to have, you know, John Hainsworth, Tony Greco and Skip Burris right next to me, plus, you know, countless partners, including my dad, uh, who, who know how to care for folks with cancer. I, I really couldn't have had a better start to, uh, to a career, an early career in oncology. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to, to, to share with us about your, your work as the chief science, um, officer at, at Sarah Cannon, also your work seeing patients, um, yeah. At Tennessee Oncology. So that's always something that's interesting to me is to understand and and hear from you this sort of balance of time between seeing patients and um and doing the research that you do. And and obviously there's the connection between both of them. But can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's I was just talking about this the other day with with uh, my colleague. Um you know, I think in medicine, you know, so not just oncology, there, there are different ways to kind of lead a professional life. And probably the two, the two, the two main ways to do it are you, you kind of either care for patients full time, wh whether you're a dermatologist or cardiologist or oncologist, or, or you do something kind of in the academic spirit. Um, there, there's an extreme to that latter category where you're just in a lab. And, and so there are some people, a lot of people who, who get medical degrees, but never see patients. They're, they're completely in a lab. Um, and of course, those aren't the only three areas a doctor can end up in, in life. But those are kind of three main areas that folks consider when they're deciding a trajectory early, early on. And so the the career path, you know, I chose was one that allowed me to see patients. Um, and I think that's so critical for the other path, which is uh, being involved in clinical research, leading clinical research. And so uh, on the patient side, you know, my focus is lung cancer. When, when I started, actually, um, just because of, the, of our size, I kind of saw um, everybody, everybody with different kinds of cancer, which is a challenge for anybody coming out of fellowship, you know, where you're not exactly feeling up to par in every disease type. So there's a lot of learning and reading literally every day going into a room. Um, you know, so you at least kind of know, know where you're at a lot of emails and calls with the experts around the country. Um, but you know, certainly I think in 06, I decided to focus entirely on lung cancer. And so for the last, you know, 15 or so years, it's primarily what I see, uh, you know, there are, friends of family, et cetera, in Nashville who ask, ask if I can help out in other kind of cancer types. And I'll, I'll do my best to help with those, but my interest and focus clinically is lung cancer. And so I do that two days a week. Um, and you know, I still, I still, um, am so grateful and cherish the, those two days, um, as the day I started, I mean, it's such a crazy opportunity. Um, and, and because of the other side of the, of, of my, life, I guess the, the research side is lung cancer research. Um, and I'll talk about the CSO stuff in a second. 
uh, how lucky have you know I been that there's been so many great advances. You know, when I when I started. Uh, learning about how to care for folks with lung cancer in 2000, uh, two, in 2000, um, we didn't have many treatments. We, we were just trying to understand what, you know, targeting cancer was about. We, you know, we had some clues about that from sarcoma and leukemia, but, but not in lung cancer. And, and gosh, look how things have changed. And it's been so exciting to, uh, to walk into rooms and, and be able to share with uh, folks, oh, just today, you know, another breakthrough. I, mean, I did it just last week. Another drug for Exxon 20 insertions, a second in a matter of what, three months was approved by the FDA for a rare kind of uh, lung cancer. How fun it is to talk with patients about these breakthroughs and, and share that excitement and optimism about what's here today, what's probably going to be here tomorrow. Um, and so it's fun bridging what we're seeing on the research side with what's actually happening in the clinic. Um, as a CSO, so my uh, kind of responsibilities are certainly our lung cancer program. Um, now, now um, that's led by Melissa Johnson, my partner here at, at Sarah Cannon. Uh, and, and so I have responsibilities overseeing other research programs as well. So all of our disease areas you can think of, breast, um, GI, uh, GU, et cetera. Um, we, we have quite a large um, kind of program or menu, I should say, that includes early phase research and late phase research. We uh, run clinical trials around uh, the United States. We have a, an area through a network in the community. We have an, um, a, a research, early phase research program in London. Um, and so um, we're an organization of about a thousand individuals, uh, Sarah Cannon, uh, based in Nashville. And, and so my role is, uh, is one part in, in helping uh, with the research uh, kind of endeavors across those different areas. Uh, so it's busy. It's, uh, it's certainly, we, we do we do maybe uh, lament sometimes how much work is involved to, to do this right. But um, I think all of us still remain very excited about it every day. And, and, you know, you know, even the pandemic hasn't really dampened that enthusiasm. All my partners here in this, uh, uh, Dave and I are looking at each other, but, but all of our, my partners in this office you're looking at, you know, really haven't missed a day, have come in throughout the pandemic, uh, have been here throughout to continue to do the things we're doing. We haven't seen much in the way of any slowdown in terms of um, even clinic or, um, or, or our research programs, uh, which is kind of amazing if you think about, you know, the impact of the pandemic uh, globally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say that the, um, what you described about like, in the early 2000s or even the year 2000, like that was, that's around the time that I was um, diagnosed with lung cancer. And so yeah, I remember you saying that. So I can totally um, appreciate that. And I, I feel like it's, it's a common thing. I've talked to so many people on my show about, because a lot of you are about the same from the same um, time frame when you were involved with, um, with, with getting involved with lung cancer. And yeah, you know, in 2000, it was, it, it was not anything like it is today. I mean, it was like, well, it's funny. Could, I, get, it's not just lung cancer, Dave, sorry to interrupt you. Um, yeah. uh, you know, when I, when I arrived here, um, we were just starting to do research in renal cell. I mean, there were no therapies for renal cell carcinoma. There were no therapies for melanoma. Um, 
And, and lung cancer, by and large, we were limited to some chemotherapies. I mean, that's true for colorectal cancer. And so, I mean, think about how much has happened in kidney cancer and in melanoma and lung cancer and the treatment of a range of gastrointestinal cancers. It's in, in breast cancer. I mean, it's, it's, I know I'm biased. It is hard to be, um, more excited about any field of medicine or science, I think, than oncology, just because of so much that we're learning about how to fight cancer and how to help help individuals about testing, about diagnostics. Um, it's 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 really a marriage of technology and innovation, like you know, like you might think only exists in non medical fields, but it's. It's uh, it's an exciting time. It, you hope that some young people who are thinking about fields of medicine would see this excitement, you know, and and get a, and and think that you know that's that's what they want to do and invest their energy in the future in. Um, but yeah, I I guess I well, got I, I guess I got lucky. So. I guess I got lucky because of uh, everything that was happening at the time. No, but I hope so. I hope and I hope that more we continue to get young people who have an interest and and. You know, we need more smart people, the next generation, right? So you've, you know, you had your mentors, and I'm sure now you're mentoring other younger uh, folks. And so there's, um, you know, there's a lot of excitement um, about the possibilities. I I wanted to ask you about, uh, I think, again, as I go back, and this is sort of like I'm showing my heart, like I'm, I'm so like, grateful that I got treated at Mass General Hospital. And I feel like it was like a really, um, you know, Doug Matisson was yeah, my no, surgeon. Oh yeah. No. And, and um, it's up. like, I, how can I be more grateful? It's like I had the, but, but I know that there's really good care happening in the community setting too. And I, w- one of the things that you touched on, I wanted to ask you about is that um, oncologists that, that may have to see patients with, from different cancers, like, right. So like mass general's got a whole team of like people in the thoracic group, right. Right. Like, so, so can you kind of help me with that? I wanted to understand, like, even from, you know, from the Tennessee oncology standpoint, like, like it's gotta be like really challenging for oncologists who may not just be focused on one, like you're focused on lung cancer. Yeah, I, but. yeah, Dave, I, um, in, in many ways, I've got it easy, right? I, like, I couldn't do general oncology, uh, like my partners, you know, do. Uh, it's, it is, it reminds me a little bit of being a general practitioner or, or kind of sometimes we refer to as family medicine where you have to know a lot about everything. Um, yeah. Fortunately, there's a lot of good resources now, you know, where you can, you can get that expertise. Um, and, and I do think my guess is the future of community oncology is going to be where clinics become more divided, where you have a doctor or two that do certain disease types because everything is so subspecialized um, right now. And it's, it is hard to keep up uh, with, with uh, all the tools that are available. It, it is hard to keep up. So my, you know, look, I, I bow in awe to my partners that can see everything from multiple myeloma to lung cancer to, uh, you know, bladder cancer in the same day. I, I just think that's fantastic. And I, and I think they're, 
I do think patients um, can can be well cared for by general oncologists because of of the resources that are available. I think doctors know to raise their hand when they need help. I mean, I do it all the time and, and email and ask and call. Um, we do that with each other all the time with, within our group here in Nashville. We do it across, we do it globally. Uh, actually, before I got on the call with you, one of my friends, partners in uh, Tampa Bay, Sarasota area was emailing about a person there with a rare tumor. And, you know, what, what can we, can, what can we think about in terms of potential clinical trials for that patient? So, Fortunately, you know, we are literally a global community and, and able to communicate well where you can you can manage different kinds of patients with different kinds of cancer. But it is a challenge, Dave. I don't I I just it's daunting to think about how to do that and, and feel um you know, up to date, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good challenge to have because that means things are happening and changing. Yeah. But I think what, one of the things you just mentioned, I think is really important is this, this notion of resources and, and potential um, collaboration with, with people around the country. Like my mom was, when my mom was sick, she had a, she had a, a Whipple surgery um, at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona mm-hmm. And it went bad. And my primary care doctor is happens to be a gastroenterologist. And so I was like, I, I literally called him and, and was like putting him on the, trying to put him on the phone with my mom's um, surgeon, because I felt like, why not? Like, why not having more people like, you know, and my dad was like, freaked out about it. He was just like, he couldn't believe it. Cause he was like from old school. It's like, you just, you know, mind your own business. And I'm, but I love this idea. Cause I, I do. And I've talked with Lee Schwartzberg from the West clinic and yeah. he said that he's similar things. It's like, they have these, you know, opportunities now for, for people to like discuss these cases. Right. And so the fact that someone from Sarasota, um, you know, was asking you questions, I think it's, I, I love the collaboration. That's one thing that just strikes me about yeah, all the it, people that I meet. You do wonder, uh, of course, it's the way every generation is, right? Like, how did we exist without cell phones? So, I mean, you do you do wonder like how care could be could have happened in a similar way, but everything's different. You know, before we had all these uh, tech, tech, technological advances that allow us to communicate and do things easily, um, but you know. It's we'll probably ten years be looking back and laughing about the way we do things now. So, um, <laughs> that's so, true. but it's good. You know, one thing one thing that's true uh, that you were kind of hitting on is this idea of ego. Like people, and maybe historically, it's true that doctors have egos, and I guess every every human has an ego. But you yeah. know, when it comes to care, I I think we all want what's best for the person. You know, we're trying to help, and and you know everyone always kind of uses the model. What if it was your family member? You just mentioned your mother, you know? And so your, your response in terms of, you know, going to the ends of the earth for your mother, um, I, you know, is, is the way everyone should feel right. It, it's, it's everywhere if they want to, you know, that in, in a doctor looking at a situation that's complicated, you know, should feel, you know, should feel, uh, or provide provide the feeling of uh, welcoming in others to kind of help out. Um, you know, you can have too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, and everybody making a lot of different decisions. But 
I think I think most of the time it's done fine. It's done very well where people communicate all the time with other physicians and no one's egos get hurt or bruised by that. Um, hopefully not too much. Um, and I think I think everybody is satisfied when when a good outcome happens because you know it led to a decision that everybody wanted wanted. So um, I do that all the time. I I'm trying to give you a good example. I got called last week by actually um, a retired physician who, when I was, um, I think, 13 or 14, I spent a summer with deciding if I wanted to be a, a doctor. He called me last week and told me his best friend, college roommate's wife had a new cancer. Could I help? And so we we met. We met last Friday and we talked. And, um, and you know, I finished with, if you want to go anywhere, you know, if you want to go across the street to Vanderbilt, to Boston to Dana-Farber or Mass General to Sloan Kettering to MD Anderson or anywhere you want to go, you know, we'll, we'll help you get there. And, or we make a phone call and we connect and, and I, I do that pretty often when I sense folks, you know, certainly might be interested or, or, you know, wondering what else is out there. Um, I do worry sometimes about folks who don't even know they can ask about that, you know, and feel like you said, Maybe I shouldn't bother my doctor with asking for a second opinion. Um, Hopefully that starts to go away as people realize there's a lot of people out there that can help. Yeah. Well, I like the way that you described the, the, you know, the, you know, we all, we definitely all have egos. And so there's (laughs) definitely um, that's, that's definitely part of the equation, but I, but I just love the idea that like, you know, I've worked for, I've worked for people who think that they're smarter than everybody else. And it's like, it's okay to not, you know, you, you might be a really smart person, but it's, it's also okay to like, accept, you know, maybe some, some influence and, and some input from, from other people. What, what, so I pre- <laughs> well, Dave, my kids, by the way, they, they say, dad, they just told me this two nights ago. They say, dad, you interrupt people all the time. And I said, no, I don't. I'm working on it, but I, I know I've interrupted you at least twice. You're a work in but, progress. You're a work right, in progress. Right. Sorry about that. I was going to tell no you worries. one of my, one of my greatest heroes, mentors, and he's still at Indiana university. His name is Gareth Gilkey. And anyone who's ever trained in Indiana, which is every doctor in the, in the state knows, knows Dr. Gilkey. He once told me as an, as an internal medicine resident, um, that you should always be afraid. He, he said, he said, David, if you're not worried or afraid, then that's going to lead to problems. You need to be always worried and always afraid that you're not, you know, you're, you're missing something or you haven't thought about something or you haven't read about something. Um, and this, as soon as you get kind of complacent, that's where things, you know, can become a problem. And I've always remembered that. And sometimes I, I give myself a hard time. Well, why are you still worried about this or afraid about that? And I remember like, it's kind of ingrained in me to, to be that way. Um, Cause I'd, I'd much rather be that way than be too sure of myself um, and, and miss things. <laughs> that's actually really great advice. I love yeah, that. He's the best. <laughs> and it's really great, great insights. Like, so how old are your kids? So I got two boys. Uh, Noah just turned 17 three days ago, four days ago. And uh, Nicholas is 14. So two boys. Okay. Yeah. they So they are critical. Um, 
we were watching. <laughs> we were, have you been watching? <laughs> do you watch football at all? We were watching yes. Monday Night Football, and there's this new thing with the Manning brothers, Peyton and Eli. They yes, they, yeah. they do this commentary, and so they were talking about how Peyton and Eli were cutting each other off and interrupting each other, and then they said, "Dad, you do that all the time." And, and I said, remember, you told me this two years ago and I've been working on it, but you know, obviously I'm a work in progress. Hey, David, listen, my, my kids are in their twenties. And so <laughs> I can tell you that things will change. Okay. So like <laughs> my kids gave me up, they gave me a, a lot of hard time when they were 17 and 14. And, and, um, now, now they're, 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 they're cool guys and it's, and it's all good. So it's it's all good to them to make fun of you and to poke, oh, poke yeah. you That's fine. about interrupting. It's all good, but uh, things will change. So, um, listen, I wanted to ask you. I like to ask all of my guests about um, the White Ribbon Project, mm-hmm. and as we started the call today, we talked about me coming to Nashville to to your turf and. And we made a bunch of ribbons that day. So I'd like to ask you, um, as a as a clinician and researcher, um, what is what did you think of when you first heard about the White Ribbon Project, and what do you think the impact um, can be from what we're doing? Yeah, I and I think I shared with you that day uh, when we met that. Uh, before that event, I wasn't familiar with the project. Um, I mean, I knew about white ribbons, but I, I didn't know about that particular project. And um, I came away, um, and I, I think I shared this with you, I came away very um, excited about a different kind of experience uh, than I was used to uh, in terms of advocacy and interacting you know, I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of good events running, run, you know, running events, walking events. Uh, there's even yoga events. I've uh, been involved with uh, several organizations where have put on great events to interact with the community and fundraise. And uh, but this was quite different. And and I and what was different about it for me was um, was this uh, intersection of you know lung cancers at the center, right? Um, but the folks at that event come at it from different perspectives. Uh, you know, some might have a loved one who suffered from it. Some themselves might be dealing with it as we speak. Um, uh, some are survivors. And then, and then you have doctors and nurses, you had people from industry there, um, and there were children there, you know, probably didn't know any of this, right. Just knew about painting a, a piece of wood. Um, and so it was cool. It was cool getting together, uh, sharing kind of the afternoon together and uh, literally uh, painting this kind of uh, connection, you know, this piece of wood with a signature on it that, you know, could have an impact on somebody somewhere. Um, and so I thought it was really cool. And I, I, I guess I was a little mad, like, how did I not know about this um, before today? Uh, so I hope that continues. I hope uh, it continues in different ways. And of course, that we in Nashville can be a part of that. Um, but 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 how cool, how cool an event. And I got to meet you. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome. And, and I agree. And it was, I had a, I had a, a uh, an event at my house here in Boston, hmm. um, where we made ribbons. Um, it was after the my trip to Nashville, but I have to say my trip to Nashville was something that was just extremely special because it was, 
uh, as you described, you know, this combination of people from all these different backgrounds, you know, who care, who care. So um, I really appreciate um, your involvement. And I was, and it was amazing uh, to meet you um, in Nashville. So um, the last thing I want to ask you, David, and not, not to put you on the spot, but I always ask my guests to, if there's something outside of your work that you are passionate about or that people may not know about you that you might want to share with us. Go for uh, it. It's, <laughs> so I'm afraid I'm a really boring person uh, and, and, oh, prob- and probably would say, you know, you know, certainly passionate about being with my kids and my wife and my dog. No, I love that. No, uh, I love that. But you know, your time does get so busy that uh, those times you really cherish. But it's funny as your boys get older, they they want to maybe spend less time with their dad and and do other things. So I, I'm recognizing, um, you know, it, it's probably good to find some other hobbies as they get older and go off to college. Um, I have a lot a lot of interest. I you know I don't. I can't think of any particular like hobbies or stuff, but interested in sports and exercise. And, uh, I, I definitely find ways to, uh, create separations between, uh, work life and, um, kind of personal life. You know, I learned, learned that from my own family and, uh, growing up. And, and so I think that's important providing good balance and perspective on things and spending time with family and friends. So, and I like to eat probably that's my biggest, uh, <laughs> problem is, is, uh, is I may not eat the healthiest foods, but I like, I like eating. <laughs> that's so. right. You look great. <laughs> hey, by the, by the way, um, as far as your kids go, as your yeah, boys, right. um, my, um, my wife and I go, we, every year we go to Maine for, um, vacation this summer Yeah, and in August. Where, where, where so, do you guys go? Uh, Booth Bay, yeah. Booth Bay Harbor. Yeah. Um, uh, so this, this year we get uh, the week of the 23rd of August, we were in Booth Bay Harbor and all three of my boys came to visit, to hang oh, out with cool. us. How cool. How great. So I'm telling you, I'm just giving you. Oh no! Am I am I, that, am I conveying the sense of loss that my wife says I'm going through already? Uh, and they're not. No, even, it's all good. No, um, I'm saying it's all good because because you know when they're teenagers, it's very different, and as they get older, they they come back and they and they get it, and it's awesome. So th- you have those opportunities ahead of you. Well, I'll tell you real quickly. Yeah, uh, I was driving Nicholas, my 14 year old home the other day, and he said he was asking me about life and jobs and all this kind of stuff in graduate school. And and um, he said, he said, well, what do I do after college? And I said, well, you know, it's you might you might go on to other school like medical school or law school or business school. You know, you might might decide to pursue engineering or teaching, or you may just go right to work. He goes, well, I don't think I want to go to more school after college. I said, okay. He goes, but where would I live? And and I said, well, you know, you'll get a job and you can live where you want. And he goes, well, could I live with you? And I said, look, you can live with me. <laughs> Until, you know, until you're 95 years old, that's fine. That's actually what I want, but I don't think, you know, you're going to want that. And so it's kind of funny. I came up and told my wife that story and and she's like, she said, don't talk him into just living with us. Like he needs to have his own life one day. So kind of funny. No, it's hilarious because because our kids, our kids, um, uh, our son, Patrick, just um, he's a nurse practitioner now and 
when he was in graduate school, um, he lived with us and he went to Boston College. And uh, so he, he would commute to, to BC um, every day, but we loved having him here. And it was like, dude, you can live here. For as long as you want. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, a, it's like, yes, we want you to have your own life, but damn, we, we just love having you here. So, well, awesome. I said, I said, what did you think was going to, you know, what happened? He goes, well, I didn't know. He goes, I thought maybe you finished college and you just got kind of get dropped off on a street. And I said, I said, no, Nicholas, that doesn't it doesn't go that way. You'll be looking for things to do before you, you finish college. So um, kind of funny. But, David, the bottom line is they, <laughs> they will they will they will they will move on in their 20s and they'll have their own lives and, they'll, and yeah. have jobs. I'm good with still, it. But they'll still want to hang out with you. Right? Yeah. So my, my wife's birthday was on Saturday and they, and they came. The, all the boys were here. And yeah, they're, they they they. They set aside their time to to come hang out with us. So you have all those. This, these are good things that are going to continue to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I may need to call you for sure. therapy as as those, <laughs> those years come. So anyway, well, thank you, David. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so grateful. To, um, thank you for everything that you do um, for the lung cancer community and for uh, the patients and uh, the community in Tennessee and. I'm just super grateful that you spent the time with us today on my show. So thank you so much for being on the show. Sure. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for having me. And uh, it was fun, fun talking, but yeah, how, how great it, it is that I got a chance to meet you and I uh, hope this leads to more things we get to do together. You bet. Thank you. All right. All right.